Thanks for joining us for today's message. We're always so encouraged to hear when God is working in your life. If the messages of Life Church have touched you in some way, please share that with us through email at stories at lifechurchwi.com. The message you are about to hear is part of our series entitled Skinny Jeans. This is a series all about uncomfortable teachings of Jesus Christ. We hope that you enjoy. Put your makeup on, get your nails done, curl your hair, run the extra mile, keep it slim so they like you. Do they like you? You don't have to try so hard. You don't have to give it all away. You just have to get up, get up, get up, get up. You don't have to change a single thing. You don't have to try, 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 try. Let's be honest. How many of you have felt like that one time this week? Come on. The rest of you are lying or you're skinny. We don't like skinny people at Life Church. So, amen. It's great to see you guys today. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor, and we welcome you today. Can we welcome our campuses, Appleton Campus, West Campus, Online Campus, Germantown Campus? great to have you with us today. And if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 19 is where I'm going to begin. And then I'm going to get to chapter 5, and we're going to kind of go back and forth a little bit. Uh, but today we're ending the series called Skinny Jeans, and, uh, and we're, we've been talking about the uncomfortable teachings of Jesus. And uh, today we're talking about divorce and remarriage. And uh, this is one of those topics that honestly, if I didn't have to preach, I wouldn't preach. Um, because the thing about being a pastor is uh, there, there's two sides of this. One, you're commissioned by the Word of God to preach the full counsel of the gospel, which means I don't get to take editorial privilege of, of what I want, what I don't want, and, and I try to preach the full, basically what they would call the, the full Bible, the, the canon of Scripture, Genesis through Revelation. But the other thing is, is that in... in uh, the reality is, is that 50% of you are greater have been affected by divorce and remarriage. And so uh, when you have a conversation or you teach a message like this, the Bible may be very straightforward, but the reality is, is how it hits you is different for everybody in this room or at any of the campuses or if you're watching online. And so I want to just make a couple of statements right up front. First of all, I'm going to ask <laughs> that... Uh, you don't leave until the end of the message. Seriously. Um, because this is a strong emotional deal, and you may have some really strong opinions. You may differ. Uh, you may have to wrestle with some things. And, um, uh, and so uh, that's okay. You may have questions. That's okay. I'm going to give you my email at the end of the, at the, end of the message and, uh, so that you have an ability to be able to uh, connect and as well as the campus pastors, uh, Pastor Kevin at the West Campus and Pastor Sean at the Appleton Campus are going to give you their email address at the end. So we're here to help. Questions don't ever off-put God. Do you understand that? It's, it's never an offense to God for you to ask questions. Why? You may not always get the answer you want. It may not always come the way you want it. But you don't offend God by doing that. So, so th that's okay. But, 
but I'm just going to ask that you, that you stay to the entire message. I'm going to ask that if you have questions, that you, you, you wrestle with those and, and, and you ask those. Um, and, uh, but as we read this passage of Scripture, uh, these passages, Jesus is very straightforward on this subject. Matter of fact, Jesus is a pretty straight shooter. But the reality is he, he has the ability to, although the, the, the statements may be somewhat uncomfortable, maybe sometimes shocking, he has an unreal amount of grace that he seasons them with. And within these statements, there's truth. And truth, when it's applied to our lives in any situation, will set you free. And so uh, I also want to make one other statement, too, before I get right into this. These statements were not as shocking when Jesus said them in the first century. They're more shocking in the 21st century than they were in the first century. As a matter of fact, biblical scholars and historians tell us that Christ followers, that Christians in the first and second, third, all the way to the fifth century, were, were known for being people that very rarely divorced uh, and encountered remarriage. And, and because they just took Jesus at face value and they walked it out. And the reality is, is that because of the commitment that they had in that, and because of just hearing and doing that, that people that were not Christ followers, that were not Christians, actually many of them came to faith because of the fact that they saw in the lives, in the homes, in the marriages of those that claimed to be Christ followers, something that was different. And that was so attractive to them that it was one of the ways that people were coming to faith in the first five centuries. What happened after century five? Well, life begins to happen, and, and, and you have multiple different things that are happening historically. And then we get to the 21st century, and we live in a day and age where truth becomes relative, unfortunately. It's not, but we, it's easier to deal with it that way than it is to say somebody's right and somebody's wrong. And so in a day and age with non-tolerance and, 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 and just really... And there's just becomes a heated, heated, heated conversation. So, as heated and as hot as it is, let's get in it, all right? You ready for this? And, uh, and so, I, I want to start by first establishing, before you get into divorce and remarriage, what is marriage from a biblical perspective? What does it mean to be married? Well, if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, you see God created the heavens and the earth and the fullness thereof. He created man, and man is created in the image and likeness of God. God made the statement, I think it's Genesis 1.26, let us, plural, make man, singular, in our image. Us and our denote the Trinity, the triune Godhead of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're all present at the beginning of time, and they create man in their image and in their likeness. Humanity is the only the only living organism on the planet that bears the image of God. Everything else bears the handiwork of God, but only humanity, only you and only I, we're the only thing that bears the image of God. God sees man and says, it's good. But he says one thing, he needs a little something else. And so he created a woman. Amen? Can I get a witness, ladies? That's your time to say, holla, right? Don't, hey, congratulate, I'm just saying. So the reality is, he creates woman. And God says that in creating woman, that it's not good for man to be alone. And so marriage, biblically speaking, marriage, by definition, up until the last decade or two, from the beginning of time until now, has always been viewed by people who are Christ followers and not Christ followers, by pagans and saints, 
as a covenant relationship between a man and a woman. Period. It's not even been debated. And if you don't believe in creation, you believe in evolution, then it's been even longer than those of us that believe in creation. I mean, this is just something that's been there. And so uh, before sin entered the world, God created marriage. Before God initiated the church, he created marriage. I would contend with that, that you and marriage and your family are more sacred than anything else, any institution on the face of the planet. Because without a healthy understanding of what marriage is, we never have healthy churches. Without a healthy understanding of how God designed us and what that means, we, we really fully are not expressing God as Christ followers in the way that he intended for us to. Jesus states this as he gets in this conversation with the religious leaders of the day in Matthew chapter 19, verse number 4, 5, and 6. He says, haven't you read that at the beginning the creator made them male and female? And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. He's quoting, he's referring to Genesis chapter 2. So let me explain to you what's happening from a biblical perspective with marriage. You have the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We believe in a triune Godhead. So does the Catholic Church and Protestant Evangelical Churches. So Methodists, Baptists, non-denominational, Catholic, Lutheran. We, we believe that there's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. That there are three separate individuals, three separate entities, but yet they're one. And the one is actually three, and the three are actually one. Now that's beyond my pay grade, but that's about as easy as I can explain it, Okay. So if that's thoroughly confusing to you, join the club. Because it's beyond us. And it should be. And God said, look, on this earth, I'm going to make man, and he's going to bear my image and my likeness. And I, and I want man not to be alone, and so I'm going to create woman. And so God anatomically created man and woman to fit together. I don't mean to be crass, but that's where sexual intercourse and relationship comes from. That's the reason why. That's how God created things. And don't get mad or... God came up with the whole idea of sex, so I think God's a pretty good God. I'm just saying, don't hate, congratulate. But it's just the truth. It's there. Before sin, this was God's way to join man and woman together. But that consummation was more than a physical union. There was a spiritual reality that happened out of that. And that's what Jesus is referring to here. That's what God states before it ever happens when he basically oversees and presides and he officiates the first wedding ever done between Adam and Eve. Probably a pretty cool wedding if you really want to get down to it. That the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the three, the Trinity, divinity, the God of the universe is three and one. And he said, on this earth, because man bears my image and my likeness, I want his covenant relationship to reflect on this planet what I, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are. So we'll do three in one, but I will allow man to do two in one. So the reality is that marriage is a reflection of our relationship with God. That's why it's so sacred. Marriage is a reflection on this earth of our relationship with God. So the reality is that's why God hates divorce. God doesn't hate divorced people. 
<laughs> Quite to the contrary, he has great compassion. God, God doesn't hate divorcees. God doesn't hate kids of divorced families. God hates divorce. Why? And Malachi 2.16 states that God hates divorce. But why is it? Because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it is unimaginable for the three of them or one of them to say, peace out, Girl Scout. Not they would say it that way. That's how I would say it. But peace out. I'm done. I can't live with the Holy Spirit anymore. The Jesus isn't making me happy anymore. The Father is driving me up a wall. We have ir irreconcilable differences. If that were to happen, the world, the universe in which we live and exist, would completely implode upon itself. Why? Because the Bible says that God himself holds this world. The Bible says he holds the, the oceans of the world, the water of this earth, and the hollow of his hand. The same way we could not imagine the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit divorcing themselves from one another. Because we bear that image and likeness of God. And because God puts his super onto our natural. And God allows us to have two complete different individuals. Men and women. How different are we? Amen. Become one. That's what God calls marriage. So the statements about divorce that we're going to read and remarriage are really less about divorce and remarriage. And they're a whole lot more about marriage. And the covenant of marriage. And the sanctity of marriage. And how God views it. So let's just jump right in. And if you'll take your Bible and turn back to Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is doing the Sermon on the Mount. And he kind of introduces this uncomfortable teaching. But from this teaching, uh, we get Matthew 19 where the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day have heard what he's saying in Matthew chapter 5. And now they're coming back to him with questions. Matthew chapter 5 verse 27. You've heard it that it was said that you should not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. For if your, right, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one part of your whole body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go to hell. We talked about that last weekend. And it's been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. This is according to the law. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her a victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Both adultery are a sin by the law and by the covenant in the New Testament. Pretty uncomfortable. So what's Jesus saying? There's three statements here that he says. First of all, to look lustfully upon the opposite sex is a sin. Now let me stop right here because as you read through this passage and you read even all these conversations, it's about a man divorcing a woman or a man looking lustfully at a woman or a man basically, you know, separating himself from a woman. And the reason why this is happening is because in the first century, uh, sorry ladies, but women were not held with the esteem that they are today. And so a woman, quite frankly, could not divorce her husband. A husband could divorce his wife. Is that sexist? Yes. Chauvinistic? Yes. Wrong? Yes. But it was reality. So culturally speaking, Jesus is speaking to the culture. So the, so the reality is, is, that, is that it was incumbent upon the man. It was, it was his responsibility. So because he made the decision in this, Jesus was speaking to the decision maker. Today, in our context... Both a man or a woman has equal value in, in the world in which we live, and, and rightfully so. But, but he's speaking directly to, to that there, but it would, it would be gender neutral. And the reality is any one of us who have ever looked upon the opposite sex 
with lust in our heart, we've committed adultery. And to commit adultery is to break the law of God. It's to sin. Why does he begin there? Because everybody's done this. And if you haven't, <laughs> that's a whole other conversation for another day. I mean, th th this is reality. And, and, and the reality of it is, is that we're all guilty. I'm guilty, you're guilty, we, we're all guilty. And basically what he does, and the people that are asking the questions, the people that he's speaking to, the people that are hearing him, he's wanting to say, hey, before I really just tell you about divorce and remarriage, I want you to understand, we've all sinned in this area because the law says that I have to physically cross the line of sexual immorality through adultery in order to sin. But Jesus says it's a heart issue. Why? In the Old Testament, God says that man looks on the outer appearance, but God looks on the heart. Psalm says to guard the heart above all else because out of your heart flows the issues of life. The issues that we deal with are not happening in the physical realm first. They first happen in our hearts. So Jesus said, this is a heart issue. Before it ever manifests itself in some sexual escapade outside of marriage, it's first taking place here. So I'm not trying to single anybody out is what Jesus is saying. We've all made this mistake, except for Jesus. We've all sinned. He makes a second statement, which he kind of takes it up to the whole another level. Divorce, with the exception of immorality, is a sin. Wow. Let's talk about that. Good. I'm glad. Let's, let's do that. That's why we're in church today. Most of the Bibles that in the translation say sexual immorality is a sin. With the exception of sexual immorality is a sin. Because it's committing adultery. That's why it's a sin. Um, but if you go back to the original language, it's, it's, it is that, but it's even larger than that. I'm going to take a little bit of permission with this, but I think you're, gonna, you're following me well with this one. The Greek word for sexual immorality that, that's used there is, is called porneia. It's where we get the word porn for pornography. And it is dealing with sexual immorality and sexual deviancy. And really, sexual immorality is any type of sexual relationship outside a husband and a wife, a man and a woman, and a covenant relationship of marriage. Anything that goes beyond that, the Bible says that the marriage bed is sacred, it's, it's undefiled. Anything beyond that is, is, is immoral, sexually speaking. But the word porneia is bigger than that when you get into the definition of it and you begin to research it. It does deal with that, but it deals with any type of gross immorality. And sometimes people say, well, man, I've been physically abused, beaten. I come in and my spouse is just erupts. And I thought that I can't leave because it says sexual immorality. Well, I'm going to tell you what, how I would interpret this. Now, you may differ with me on this. That's fine. But I'm going to tell you how I interpret this. When you really research it and you exegete that passage, it's speaking about any type of gross immorality, any kind of just major. We're not talking about somebody offended you. They don't, they don't go to church. You know, they, they, don't, <laughs> they don't go on the mission trip. I mean, we're not talking about, we're talking about, you know, well, they, 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 they get drunk about once a year. We're, not ta we're talking about some excessive be it sexual or grossly immoral behavior. And in this day and time, it would have been things like, you know, uh, idol worship, sacrificing children to false gods. It's what it's dealing with. It's huge. So I would say in a relationship where there is physical abuse and harm, either of children or of a spouse, 
there's grounds for divorce because it's gross immorality. It's except, it, it's because it doesn't, it's not, that's not how God operates. Does that make sense? And I'm not trying to draw legalistic lines, but I also think at the same time, we have to also make sure that we actually fall within the parameters of what it is. And Jesus says, look, with the exception of this, it's sin. So if you're here today and you have gone through divorce with the exception of immorality, whether you knew it or you didn't know it, I'm not judging you. I'm just saying what Jesus is saying, you've sinned. You've actually committed the sin of adultery. Pretty, pretty, pretty straight, hard course statement. The third statement that he makes is that remarriage, with the exception of immorality, is also a sin. That to remarry, with the exception, unless you've divorced because of, 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 of immorality, is a sin. Whether you know it or you don't know it, because ignorance doesn't save us. If ignorance saved us, let's not tell anybody anything. And let's just go live our lives. And, and, and God's gracious and, and we're all going to go to heaven. And so why, do we, why are we here? We should be having biscuits and gravy right now at, at Cracker Barrel. I mean, just a thought. The reality is, is that we know that ignorance doesn't save us. If your child gets a hold of some cleaning fluids in the cabinet in the sink that's toxic, even though they didn't know it, it will harm them. Could kill them. The same thing is true of sin. Even if we cross the sin line and we don't know it, our ignorance doesn't save us. That's the reason why we've got the Bible. So truth is not trying to condemn us. Condemn us is a perversion of conviction. I'll talk about that in a minute. But it's trying to save us. It's trying to help us. And so Jesus is making these three statements. So why is God so against divorce? Well, let's look at Matthew 19 again. Because the religious leaders of the day asked Jesus this question. In Matthew 19, verse 3, some Pharisees came to him to test him, and they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? You're not in love anymore. Um, they don't make you happy anymore. Um, you know, you don't like it. We, you've grown apart. You've got different interests, blah, 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 whatever. Jesus responds, now remember, we've already talked about this, but he responds in verses 5 and 6 to basically say that God's established this thing called marriage, that the two become one flesh, and what God has joined together, let no one separate. So why is God so against divorce? Because you cannot unone what God has made one. Man cannot unone, I know that's not correctly, grammatically correct, but work with me, what God has made one. When joined together in the covenant of marriage, two individuals, a husband and a wife, a man and a woman, when, that, when those vows are spoken and when the relationship is consummated, the Bible says that the two become one. There is more happening than sex. That sexual intercourse. What's happening is, is that there is a spiritual reality where God's putting his super onto our natural. And the reality is, is that God joins the two hearts together and two become one. And when God does that, it's exactly what he says, let no one, what God has joined together, let no one separate. 
You and I cannot undo what God has done. We cannot un-one. We can't take the two that have become one and make them two again. You cannot unscramble the egg. See, marriage is more than a license. It's more than a honeymoon. And this is the reason why divorce always carries baggage with it. Because once you've been connected in that way, there is part of you that's connected. It's, it's like, a, it's like a, a post-it note that loses amount of adhesion because it, 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 was, it was adhered here and now it's been pulled apart and part of that is gone. And this is something that we don't think about. A spiritual reality to a physical action of marriage and the consummation of marriage. But that's the issue. So why do we look for loopholes? Why, why do we look for exceptions? Why, why is this an issue sometimes? Well, he goes on to say in verse 7, they ask him, so well, why did Moses command that when a man give his, give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. If you write or underline or highlight in your Bible, that's a great phrase to underline. Because your hearts were hard. But it was not that way from the beginning. I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Why? What's the reason for divorce? A hard heart. Every single time. Well, not in my, not in my case. It, it, was because, it was because we couldn't get along. Well, not in my case. It was because, you know, they, they just they left me. Not in my case. It was just because, no, I'm telling you, in every single marriage that ends in divorce, there is a hardening of a heart that takes place with one or both people. Maybe it wasn't your heart that was hard, but it was the other person's heart that was hard. And when I have conversations sometimes with people and, I, and, and I'm talking to people that are, that are, are going through, you know, um, basically going through a rough patch or they're separated. Maybe they've had a spouse that's filed for divorce or, or they found themselves here in this situation. And I say to them, look, regardless who's done what, whether it's you or them or both of you, here's the reality. Keep your heart soft. Do everything you can to keep your heart tender because here's what will happen. As you begin to pray, because God hates divorce. God doesn't want to see, because he doesn't want to see the brokenness. He doesn't want to see the hurt. He doesn't want to see the pain. And, and I've never found anybody who's gone through divorce that went, wow, that was a great experience. I would do that again. I've never met a parent that said, I really wish my children can enjoy this the way I have. No, none of us. It's painful. It's frustrating. It's upsetting. I don't care how bad the person was. I don't care if there was biblical grounds for the divorce or not. None of us like go, that's why I got married, so I could just end in divorce. No, we don't. It's stupid. We, we start with the idea of, man, till death do us part. And, but the reality is, is that somewhere along the line, our heart, again, that's why Jesus is dealing with the heart issue. If a man looks upon a woman with lust, he's committed adultery in his heart. He's committed the sin of adultery. Why? Because it begins here. Out of this heart flows the issues of life. So guard this heart. Prepare this heart. Keep this heart. God will not violate man's heart. It's the reason why Revelation says that Jesus comes to the door of every man's heart and he knocks. Why? Because God will not bust his way into our hearts. We 
control our hearts. We guard our hearts. We either allow our hearts to be hard or we allow our hearts to be soft. Nobody else controls your heart. You are never a victim of a hard heart. It's your choice. You don't understand the junk that's happened. I get it. You don't understand what's happened. I don't. You, you, if you're in my shoes, you'd probably be as bad. I'd probably be worse than you. I'm just, I'm being honest, right? But the reality is, it's because of the hardening of our hearts. And I always tell people, if you're going through a separation or you're dealing with this issue, keep your heart soft. Because here's what happens. One person's heart's soft, one person's heart's hard. And this soft-hearted person just finally gets to the point where they go, I'm so tired of all the junk this person is saying and doing. I can't handle anymore. And so this hard heart, this soft heart becomes hard. And then all of a sudden they close up. And then the one that was closed opens up and they go, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But this person is refusing now to do this. And then finally this person gets tired of saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And they say it. And about the time that they say it, then this person, their heart begins to open up one more time. And this person closes. I'm tired of saying it. Now I'm going to go back to you vindictively. And it goes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth until finally done. And if ever two hearts can both become soft, God can work. God can take a heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. So what do I do with today's message? If you're married, stay married. It's real simple. Just write that down in case you forget it. Just stay married. Is it easy? Nope. But it's the commitment that makes the love last, not the love that makes the commitment last. There are going to be days you're not going to feel in love. There are going to be days that all of a sudden you're going to go, wow, gravity has kicked in. I married him and he was so good looking and now he's got hair coming out of his ears and on his back. And it's like that NASCAR photo with Dale Earnhardt's Jr.'s number in the back of his back hair. I mean, just shaved right there. I mean, just, it's like a coat. It happens. Don't hate people. Stay married. Choose to stay committed. Make a decision. For better, for worse. For richer, for poor and sickness and health for as long as you both shall live. Because even if it's rough right now, the easiest thing for you to do is conceivably the hardest thing to do, and that is stay together. Because if you separate, if you divorce, you are trying to unwind what God has won together, and you're going to take who and what you are into the next relationship. And if you're the problem, guess what? If John's got a problem with Sally, John's got a problem with Sarah, John's got a problem with Susie, John's got a problem, whether John admits it or not. So it's better for John just to stay with Sally, wife number one, and work it out. If you're single and you've never been married, take notes. I meet single people all the time. They go, I just, man, I wish I was married. And I say, every married person says, listen, listen, in your mind right now, it's horrible to be single. But the only worst thing right now for you to be single is for you to be married and want to be single. Outside of your relationship with Jesus Christ, the second most important decision you will make in your life is who you marry. 
I don't do much premarital counseling anymore, but when I did, I would have these conversations. Tell me what kind of life you want. I'd have them write it down. Tell me what kind of car you want to drive, how much money you want to make, uh, you know, where, what, where do you want to live? I mean, is it in the country? You want a trailer on 50 acres, right? You, you want an estate? You know, do you want a little a Cape Cod on the east side of Milwaukee? What, what do you want? You want your kids in private school, public school? I mean, what, I just, and I'll ask a myriad of questions. And then I look at them and I, I exchange. I go, how different is the life that you want from this person? Because I'm telling you, if this person wants to live on 50 acres and hunt and fish and farm, with a house trailer in Washington County and your idea is a, little, is a little Cape Cod on the east side in private school with a picket fence driving a Volvo and his idea of, of life is an F-150. Baby, you've got two different worlds going on. Do you understand? Look at their parents. They're going to look like that one day. Are you okay with that? <laughs> How does he treat his mother? How does she treat her father? Because that's the expectation. How they deal with one another. Look at this. It's just pay attention and listen to people that you're in relationship with that are around you. If they warn you, listen. I don't know. Oh, but he's so dreamy. Listen, I don't know. I think he's hell on wheels. I'm just, I think it's, that's like crazy. That's a hot mess right there. Listen. Oh, but I'm in love. No, you're not in love. You're in heat. Listen. <laughs> right? We've all been there. Amen. Amen. Owe me whatever you need to say. If you're divorced and remarried, a couple questions. If I'm divorced, remarried, and I, this happened on unbiblical grounds, do I need to go back to my first spouse? No. You don't need to divorce who you're with and go back. And this is a real issue. Paul deals with this in the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17, because this is what was happening, people. This had all happened. And so they're hearing this teaching, and some of them for the very first time, and, hey, well, if we've sinned, do we need to go back and undo this? No, no, you can't. He says it this way. Each one of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you. So wherever you are, there you are. And remain as you were when God first called you. If you're in your second marriage and divorce was not on biblical grounds, stay married. Just don't do it again. Next question, what, what if I was divorced by no choice of my own? I was abandoned. I was left. There's nothing you can do. Well, did I sin? Only you know that. But if it is as you say, nothing that you had to do with it, then no. Tammy and I have a friend who, uh, great guy, married. Matter of fact, we, we double dated with him in college some. He came home from the office, he was a youth pastor, and there was a note on the refrigerator that just says, look, you're a great guy, and you've been wonderful, you've done nothing wrong, I just don't want to be a Christ follower anymore, I don't want to be in the ministry anymore, I don't have anything to do with God anymore, I don't want this life anymore, I'm leaving you. He shows up in court, and she says the exact same thing to the judge, he's done nothing wrong, he, he's awesome, he's great, this is me, I don't want this. I, want, I do not want to follow Jesus. I do not want to be a Christian. I do not want that lifestyle. I want to go do what I want to do. Nothing you can do. Nothing. But God's grace is sufficient. Man, if I'm divorced, whether on biblical grounds or 
not biblical grounds. And I'm remarried on biblical grounds or unbiblical grounds. Regardless, where do I stand in relationship with the, with the church? Well, I think you stand in line with the rest of all of us adulterers. Because Jesus starts the conversation off with, if you've ever looked at the opposite sex and had lust in your heart, you've committed the sin of adultery. And I've yet to meet an adult that hasn't crossed that line. Jesus doesn't condemn you. We don't condemn you. There's no scarlet letter here. If you don't hear anything else I say today, hear that. The ground is leveled at the foot of the cross. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us are righteous, no, not one. And if there's a chief of sinners among us, it's me. I'm just telling you, there's no condemnation. And if anybody feels like you have crossed, whether knowingly or unknowingly, the line of, of sin in divorce or in remarriage, what do you do? What do I do, Aaron? Well, I go back to John chapter 8 where Jesus, John tells the story of Jesus who deals with a woman who's caught in adultery. And the Bible simply says this, that the woman's brought to Jesus by the religious leaders of the day. As Jesus is standing basically in the church, in the synagogue, and he's teaching. They interrupt his conversation. It'd be like right now if somebody barged in and church people brought a woman wrapped in a bed sheet because they literally found her in the middle of the act. The Bible says she was caught in the midst of adultery. And they bring her to Jesus and they go, what do we do with her? The law says she should be stoned, and it did. So what do you say we do with her? And the Bible says, John records it, Jesus just doesn't respond. He just stoops down and he begins to write in the sand. And the Bible says he does this as though he does not hear them. And they ask again, what do we do? And he stands up and he says, let he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And he kneels back down and he begins to write on the ground. The Bible says that the woman is standing in her shame, head down, disheveled hair just hanging in complete guilt. And one by one, the accusers all leave except for Jesus. Why? Because he's the only one that would have the ability to stone her. Because he's the only one without sin. And he stands up and he asks the woman, where are your accusers? And I think in that moment, he takes his hand and he kind of lifts her chin up to look around. And she says, they're not here. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go now and sin no more. See, he shuts down all the condemnation because condemnation doesn't come from God. John chapter three, verse 17 said, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. 
He simply tells the woman, just go and sin no more. You're not living in a perpetual state of sin. If you go back to the adulterous bed, yes, you'll be going back to sin and you will have sinned. But from here on, you are free. So go live as a free person. And that's my encouragement for you today. Embrace the truth. Marriage is one man and one woman for life. Embrace the truth that either everything Jesus said was a truth or it was a lie, but you cannot have it both ways. We don't get editorial privilege over what he said. And don't ignore the truth just because it's uncomfortable. Confess your sins. Man, if you've sinned, rather than just move on and act like it doesn't exist, ask God today to forgive you. And John says, 1 John says that he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, which means he's faithful. He'll do it every single time, and he's just. He has the ability, just like the woman caught in adultery. Some of you, you crossed the line and didn't even know it. His grace is sufficient. Some of you knew exactly what you were doing and you were calculated in what you were doing and you tried to twist and turn scripture to make it say what you wanted it to say. Own it. Confess the sin and receive God's grace. Why? Because you need that grace for this second marriage that you're in. See, grace is there when there's a gap, and we need God to fill that gap. And if you're in a second marriage or a third marriage, you know that there's a gap. There's issues, there's things, there's baggage. But the New Testament is an account after account after account of God gives grace in every single situation. But he will only give grace if you ask. You have to ask. Forgive me, Jesus, for I have sinned and I've crossed this line or this line, or this line. He knows, you know. And give me grace now. And he will. I'm telling you, those words, for those of you that have had that go through the horrific displeasure of divorce, God does not condemn you. Neither do I condemn you nor the church condemn you. Religious people will condemn you. Religious people will kill you. Religious people killed Jesus. But Jesus, he died for you, for me. Not because we were worthy, but because he loved us. Father, I just thank you today for your word. And I know this is a heavy subject, and I know it's, it's not easy. But I just pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would strengthen every marriage in this room. Whether it be the first or the second or the third, God, that you would strengthen every marriage. Lord, at the Appleton campus, at the West campus. God, that you would do that. God, if there are people that have crossed this line, whether unknowingly or knowingly, it doesn't matter, sin is sin. I pray right now as they just say, Jesus, forgive me. God, that your joy would fill their hearts, that your peace that passes understanding would be theirs, that, God, that you would just take their sin and cast it as far as the east is from the west. Lord, forgive all of us. I pray, God, for every person that's contemplating divorce, 
today. Speak to their hearts. Soften their hearts. Soften their spouse's heart. Let them get in sync with two soft hearts. For every single person here today, God, I pray that you would just speak to them, give them strength in this season. And God, in your time and in your will, bring that person that they need to be joined together with. I pray, God, your blessings be upon our families, be upon the marriages of Life Church today. We thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness. We thank you, God, for your grace. We thank you, Jesus, that you don't condemn us, but that you set us free. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.